kind of, uh, if I can say it this way, as an addendum to what Pastor has been teaching the last few Wednesday nights uh, in reference to holiness and what he will be continuing to teach and, and the presentation of that. I want to talk about a subject, and the subject title tonight is Building for Life, but uh, the subject uh, that I want to talk about is Foundations. If we can read in Matthew 7, uh, 24 through 27, Therefore whatsoever, or whosoever heareth these things, uh, these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken them unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And when the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. In Luke um, 6, 46 through 49, I'm going to read, uh, the, on the screens will be the King James Version. I'm going to read it out of the message version of the Bible. Uh, the Bible says, why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built his house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. These two scripture settings, Jesus is addressing a group of people and, and he's saying that, that I want you to, to apply what I'm teaching you, this is talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to apply these principles to what I'm teaching you. I want you to listen to them, apply them to your life. Don't just listen, but do them. Apply them, use them, work them into your life, and you will build for yourself a foundation. He goes on to say, I don't want you just to hear these words and just think they're wonderful. And just think they're great and they're, they're a glorious Bible study. And boy, that was really a good material. Or boy, that preacher is really smart or he has a great presentation. Because if you do that, then they're really not benefiting your life. There's, a, there's an illustration, and I've used it a few times before, but if you'll humor me and allow me to use it again, it fits right here. There's an illustration about a duck pastor who had a congregation of ducks. And he got up one, night, uh, one day during a service and he began to preach. And he said, God gave us these wings so that we could soar like eagles. And all the ducks in the congregation began to say, that's right, Pastor, man, that's, that's great. And he said, God gave us this wing so that we could escape our enemies and we could, we could fly over trouble and we would never have to worry about 
the savages on the ground that would desire to kill us. And man, that duck congregation was, was all behind him. And that's right, Pastor. Man, that's great stuff. And, and after the service was over, the pastor, this little duck pastor, ran to the back doors and he was greeting the members of his congregation as they left. And one after another, they had the same accolade. Pastor, you inspired me to soar today. Pastor, you inspired me to fly over my trouble today. Pastor, you inspired me to use my God-given wings, my gifts that God gave me to, to benefit my life today. And then all the ducks waddled home. You see, it's one thing to be inspired. It's one thing to hear. It's one thing to know that you have, these, that you have this scripture and that you have the Bible that you can apply to a life. It's a second thing to actually do it. So in this parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's not preaching to sinners. In fact, the Message Bible, the translation I just read, introduces this passage to show us that Jesus always expects more from his disciples than he does the crowd. Listen to Matthew 5, 1 and 2. From the message, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed the hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbing with him, arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. So in Matthew 5, we were introduced to the Sermon on the Mount that when Jesus finally gets to the top of the mountain after he sees this huge crowd, he he gathers his disciples around. He begins to instruct them. And he tells them some things that we're going to talk about tonight. And one of the things that he tells them is this story about the house that was built on the foundation and one built on the sand. Jesus introduces a concept here. It's a biblical concept. And we can find it throughout the word of God that there's only two ways Everybody in the world fits one of these two categories. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your status in life. Everybody fits in one of two categories. And Jesus introduces this concept. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that there are two ways. One is narrow. The Greek word means restricted. Or confined. It leads to life. The other way is broad, leading to destruction. There's two kinds of people. You're on the narrow way or you're on the broad way. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 20, Jesus introduces us to the concept of two trees one which bears good fruit and one which bears evil fruit. Again, two kinds of people. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus, and this is the parable that I read, introduces us to two houses. One built on a foundation and one that does not have a foundation. Again, two types of people. We understand that everybody in the world, uh, you're either lost or you're saved. You're either for the kingdom of God or you're against it. There's really no middle road. And we understand that. So, Tonight we want to explore this concept that Jesus talks about that everybody here, 
that everybody in this room, whether you intend to do it or not, whether you want to do it or not, whether it's your purpose or not, you are building a house. In your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, you're constructing a habitat, a place to live. It is called your life. You're building a house. Everyone is a house builder. In the scripture, the word house can be used in several different uh, connotations with several different meanings. In Matthew 12, the Bible talks about the house being a person's life. It can be your life. In 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, the Bible says that your house could be your family. Your immediate family can be your house. In 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9, the Bible talks about the house, which could be a church group, a congregation, can be the house. So whether you're building a life, whether you're building a family, whether you're building character or a society, a church, it doesn't matter what you're building. The Bible says we have to build it carefully. Everybody is building a house. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 13, again, I'll read a little different translation than what you'll see on the screen. The Bible says, using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I designed blueprints. Apollo is putting up the walls. Let each carpenter who comes on take the job, take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there is going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you will be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. Every one of us, again, is building and building our lives. We're building our families. We're building our careers. We're building, we're building, we're building, we're building. And everybody here has access to exactly the same material. We're all using the same raw product. We all have the same opportunities. We all have the same moment in, in, in eternity and time to build something. And every person is a builder. It's just what kind of builder are we? Are we wise or are we foolish? It's one of the two. In the scripture I just read, he was talking about the inspection. This is when, when God, when we're raptured, we stand before God. There's going to be an inspection. It's thorough. God's going to know everything. God will, will be able to, to uh, dissect our lives, I, I guess you could say, and to find those places that, that we think we can hide from God, but we cannot. It will be revealed, and I'll show you this minute, in a few minutes how in even this life it can be revealed. So are you a wise builder or are you a foolish builder? It's something that we have to ask ourselves. Are we building on a foundation? I want to talk about foundations in just a few minutes. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, the Bible says, Through wisdom is a house builded. And by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. Three words 
from the book of Proverbs stand out here. Knowledge, the house is building. Which is an observation of facts. We observe what's going on. Understanding is the explanation of the facts and wisdom is the application of the facts. Can we observe in our lives? Can we observe in our spirit and gather the facts and then explain them to our, in our own intellects, explain them to ourselves and then apply them to our life? It's not just enough to know it. It's not just enough to be educated in it. But we have to apply it. The biblical concept of hearing is the same as obedience. In other words, if you don't uh, do what the Bible says, you really didn't hear it. And so there are in this, in this passage, this text of the parable of the two house builders, there are many similarities between these two builders in the parable. Again, they had the same material. The only thing that Jesus says was different was the foundation. And no doubt in, in our, this congregation, I've seen it in life, in my short life. I'm only 42. Starting to realize that when I was 20 and I criticized people for getting up and saying, man, my back hurts and my knees hurt. and I used to think they were so old. I've realized at age 42 I don't take the cold quite as well as I used to. It just seems colder, I guess. But I've seen people that try to, in my short life, build without a foundation. And we all understand, hopefully we all understand the importance of a foundation. You have to have something underneath you. You have to have something to anchor you. You have to have something that's solid. You can't build just on anything. And, and we've, we've seen, and it's, it's horrible, but we've seen devastation from hurricanes in places like Honduras and, and the Central America where there's, where there's literally mud floors and they just build some bamboo huts around and, and they don't withstand the hurricanes. They don't withstand the wind. They don't withstand the rain. There's no foundation there. There's nothing to hold them. And the builders in Jesus' parable had exactly the same material. He gave them both the same opportunity, but one chose that I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it the way that I should. Back in the, the scripture setting in Proverbs, it talked about building a house with wisdom. I'm not going to build it the way I know I should. I'm not going to apply the principles I know I should apply. I'm just going to build it. Can you imagine what your house would look like? Now, I'm not a carpenter. I've proven that with home improvement projects. I don't do many home improvement projects anymore because I'm not a carpenter. And I can take a table saw or a uh, miter saw and I can cut a crooked line. It is possible. I've done it. But can you imagine if you decided to build a house and you had no plans? And so you just said, well, you know what? Um, I want it square. So we're just going to start putting a square up. And um, 
Somebody would come up and say, you need a foundation. Nah, don't need that. So after pressing on you for a while, you say, okay, you what? But instead of pouring six-inch thick concrete slab, pour an inch. We'll save money. It's a cost-cutting measure. I hear that a lot at work these days, cost-cutting measures. So we're going to do that. We're going to do a cost-cutting measure. We're going to pour a one-inch thick concrete slab. And, you know, we're going to, eh, we're going to put some two-by-fours up, but, you know, really, two-by-fours are so expensive, it'd be a lot cheaper if we just cut them in half and used a two-by-two. Now, conventional wisdom tells you that's the, that's the wrong way to build a structure. Any engineer would tell you it's not going to last and even should be common sense would say that this structure is not going to make it. That we need to build according to the plan, according to what wisdom tells us. But for wisdom to work, it has to be applied. That means we have to say, you know what, I have to spend the money now to spend and pour a six inch thick slab. I have to buy two by fours. I have to buy two by sixes or whatever the building code calls for. I have to put on the right kind of shingles and the right kind of brick and all of these things because wisdom says if you will apply these building concepts to your home, your home will last a while. I remember years ago when I was uh, for a brief time a real estate agent with C.J. Brown. There was a house in the uh, Watson, North Denham, Watson area, there was a contractor that was building houses left and right. He was flying through them. The guy could build houses faster than you could shake a stick at, whatever that means. And one of the families that bought one of his houses, this was their dream house, but he had, he had built such a reputation for doing it cheap. Now, he could sell his houses cheap, but there was a reason for it. He didn't spend everything he needed to spend on the house. And do you know that one night a family had bought one of his houses and about three or four months after they bought it in their dream house, they were laying in bed, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, a horrible thunderstorm came through and all of the bricks on one side of their house fell off. It literally, the whole wall just fell. And it, the studs, all that was still there, but all the bricks fell off because they didn't put any of the little ties that hold the bricks to the studs in because they saved money. Inferior building practices will come back to bite you at some point. My point in all of that is saying as we build our relationship with God, as we build our families, as we build our marriages, as we build our, our, uh, this congregation, as we build our churches, we build grace. We need to apply what the Bible says are wise, tried and true building practices and we don't just need to hear them, but we need to do them. We need to, we need to apply them. The one thing that was different between the two builders in this parable that Jesus told was one word called obedience. It's called obedience. Luke 6 and 46, the Bible says, And why, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? 
In James 1.22, the Bible says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's called obedience. And the reason why I said I wanted this to kind of be an addendum to what Pastor has been teaching the last few weeks, and will, Lord willing, continue to teach over the next few weeks, the, the proper biblical presentation of holiness. The reason why I want this to really to, to be a part of that is to understand how important it is for each and every one of us to obey the way God says doing it, the way God says to do it, the way God says to build your house, the way God says to build your life, if we can obey his word. And so as pastor presents uh, this, this, this incredible Bible study, I want it to be in the back of our mind that what he's presenting is the right way to build a relationship with God. It's the right way to build spirituality. That we will be better not just to hear it and walk away and say, you know what, boy, that was a great way you presented that. Boy, that was a neat way you said that. I've never thought of it that way. I've had people come to me and tell me uh, in the last couple of weeks, man, that just is so neat. The way he explains it and it's clear. But we don't want to be like the little duck congregation that heard and were inspired but never changed anything. I want us to understand that obeying the word of God is our foundation. It is everything that we have underneath us. Disobedience in a person's life is like building a house without a foundation. We have to obey the word of God in all of its commandments, not just a few not just a select couple, but we have to obey all of the commandments. There are three major components of a house. Can anybody name one? Somebody wake up. Can anybody name one major component of a house? Foundation is one. We must have a proper foundation. I'm going to talk to you about the three components of a house. First of all, you have the, the foundation. It has to be a proper foundation. It has to be a strong foundation, one that is suitable for the load that it's going to carry. I, was, I remember uh, several years ago after the World Trade Center bombings, they were saying that literally the only part of those massive structures that could be salvaged was the foundation. They call them slurry walls. They are literally 40, 50, 80 foot thick concrete foundation. It is massive and that's what all of the weight of that building stood on. But they had a proper foundation so we, we need to build underneath our lives and our our walk with God and our spiritual development, a proper foundation, not a, a thin foundation, but one that is uh, sufficient to support, to support us in times of trial, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Psalms 11 and 3, the foundations, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Ephesians 2 and 20, 
and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, talking about the church, talking about our relationship with God. The, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And I want to read Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Again, I'll read out of the message translation of the Bible. The Bible says, so come on. Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. Every now and then I'd like to tell people that. If I could, I'm going to start quoting this part. Just grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust towards God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God helping us. We'll stay true to all, but there's much more than that. Let's get on with it. The foundational truths are already laid. We just have to apply them to our life. Salvation is a foundational truth. Salvation is a foundational truth truth obedience to the word of God I was noticing the other day online there was a uh, there was an article about how much law enforcement cost the US taxpayer a year and I cannot remember the figure I, right now I wish I could but it was an exorbitant amount of money that law enforcement cost. Do you know how much better society would be if everybody obeyed the Bible? If everybody would just obey the word of God, if everybody would obey the Ten Commandments, we would, we would really, we would shoot way up. But if everybody could just just take the Bible and say, I'm going to apply these principles and I'm just going to obey the word of God. Do you know how much society would save its pain and agony and, and all of the, the, the horror of, of society would be? Obeying the word of God. Do you understand how important that is? If you think it's important, would you please say Amen. Thank you. Every now and then it's just good to hear. I don't know if somebody was sleeping or not. But I really want to get across tonight to us how important it is not just to hear it, but to do it, to obey it. God's not mean. He's not cruel. He's not vindictive. And he's not trying to ruin our lives or take the joy out of them. In fact, he's doing just the opposite. He's trying to impart joy. And he knows what will bring us joy. He knows what will bring us satisfaction in life. And so he gives us the word of God to teach us and to instruct us and, and to give us the ability to know his ways that will bring fulfillment. If we would just apply them, if we would just obey them. Now, I have to talk to myself about this because I don't always obey it either. You know, that part about, you know, 
Be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Sometimes I get mad and I go to sleep mad. That's not applying it. You know, sometimes I have a hard time with forgiveness. I like grudges. Anybody else? And so I have to uh, uh, learn to apply it. Sometimes for me to maintain a good attitude in certain situations. I know I'm the only person in here that's like that. There's a person that I work with that is very, 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 very frustrating to work with. I could have said a lot more berries, but you would have got tired of it. And it's one of those people that when I see this person, I get mad. No, you have to say anything, just I see them. And the reason why some of you are smiling is because you have people just like that in your life. That as soon as you see them, you get mad. And I have to work on my attitude about that. And I have to pray on my way to work, literally. I drive down the road and I pray, God, help me be better today than I was yesterday. And when I see this person, in fact, before church tonight, I was praying and I was asking God to help me forgive these people for the stuff that they've done that's made me mad at them. Just being honest. And so I have to learn to apply the, found, the, the foundation principles, how to build underneath me a foundation the way God says if you build it, then your structure, your life will stand when the floods come, when the rain comes, and when the wind comes. You will be able to stand in the trial, in the tribulation, during the problems, because you have a foundation underneath you. And I've seen people for years, I've known people over, over my lifetime, that it seems like it didn't matter what happened to them, they never lost their faith in God. You would see them go through horrible circumstance, and, and it doesn't even seem to affect them. And it's because they had a foundation, I understand it now, they had a foundation underneath them of who God was. They knew who God was. They knew salvation was, was theirs. They knew the principles of God. They knew how to forgive. They knew how to apply these things to their life. And it built underneath them the most important part of a structure. And that is the foundation underneath them. And that foundation to us is obedience to the word of God. It's simply obeying what God says. Do it his way. If you'll build it according to the blueprints, it will work. It's when we deviate. I don't need to forgive. I, I can't forgive that person. We start to deviate. And then we complain in 10, 15, 20 years when things in our life are going haywire. I had the opportunity this past week to explain to somebody how you reap what you sow works. He said, I never thought about that. He said, well, that's why my life is the way it is, because I sure have sowed it. If we'll do it God's way, if we'll do it God's way. The second 
major component to uh, a house is the structure. We have to have a proper structure. It has to be built the way God wants it built. Noah's ark illustrates this truth wonderfully. God gave Noah the instructions on how to build the ark of safety. And it had to be built according to the divine pattern in order for it to withstand the flood that God knew Noah was fixing to go through. And only uh, the, the plans that God gave were, were going to be the only plans that would work that would allow that ark to withstand 40 days of rain and storm. If you think about the weight, the size, the floors, if Noah decided, hey, I don't need three floors. I only need two. He might have been out of a living space. God might have just saved the animals. I don't know. But God gave Noah instructions and said, when you build this ark, I want you to build the framework exactly like I tell you, and if you will, you're going to be okay. And he was. It didn't matter how bad the storm got. It didn't matter how much water was over the earth. It went over the mountaintops. It didn't matter how long it lasted. He was in that ark well over a year. Everything was fine. He walked out the other side. He was, he was fine. The family was fine. The animals were fine because he did it the way God said to do it. Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness also illustrates this. God gave Moses a pattern for a tabernacle. And he says, I want you to build it exactly the way I'm telling you to build it. He had to make every detail perfect because this has to last you for the next 40 years in the wilderness. 40 in the Bible is the number of testing. God tests our obedience by seeing if we live within the framework of his commandments. Forty is the number of testing. So God tested Noah's obedience to his commandment in building the ark by putting rain on the earth for 40 days. God tested Noah's obedience to his commandment in building the tabernacle by giving them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to test it out, to make sure that he had done it right. The third part of a house is a covering. It's the roof. Now you can have the best foundation in the world, but if you have a good structure in there, you don't have much. You can bore a nice big thick concrete slab and put one pole in the middle and try to balance everything on it and it's just not going to work well. But you can have the best foundation and the best structure in the world and never put a roof on it and you're not going to have a very comfortable house. In fact, on a day like today, when you're kicked back on the sofa, reading a book, hopefully your Bible, it's going to get pretty miserable in there if you don't have a roof on it. So we must have a covering. We must have a covering. Again, Noah's Ark and Moses' Tabernacle illustrate this perfectly. Each one of them could have been operational without a covering, but neither of them would have been very comfortable without a covering. In particular, the coverings of the tabernacle were beautiful on the inside. They were fine linen. If you've ever studied the tabernacle, you'll understand that they were embroidered and, and they had 
the cherubims and, and all of that embroidered in them, they were very beautiful. But on the outside, the covering of those were, were very, um, I don't want to say ugly, but they were not very attractive. It was badger skin. It was badger skin. It's not real attractive. It doesn't really wow you, but, but the badger skins were waterproof. It was a proper covering. In Exodus 24, uh, 26 and 14, the Bible says, And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering above the badger skin. The covering is God's favor. He covers us in his favor. When we have built a good foundation and we have a good structure, we put, God puts a covering on it. So there's four major tests that everybody in this place will go through at some point. We don't have to like it. We don't have to want it. It just happens. It's life. I, I've thought about many times over the last several months the, the Bible study series that Pastor taught a year or two ago about the nine tests every Christian must face. Does anybody remember that? Let him know he could teach that one again. <laughs> It's things that we go through in life. And these three tests, they test the structure. They test our house. They test our life. They test our spirit. They test our commitment to God. They test who we are. The first one is the flood. In Isaiah 59 and 19, the Bible says, So, Shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun? When the enemy, who's the enemy? It's okay, you can respond. Who is the enemy? All right, I'll hurry. It's time to go home. Satan. When the, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Revelations 12 and 15, the Bible says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood. Where does the flood come from? Thank you, Sister Sarah. Satan, if you will remember in the parable that Jesus told, the two builders built their house, one on a foundation, one not. And what came? There was three things that Jesus talked about that came. One of them was a flood. The flood represents the attacks from Satan. It is a, a, an all-out assault from the kingdom of darkness or whatever you want to call it, from Slewfoot, the devil, however you want to say it. We have to understand tonight that there is a response from Satan in our lives. Satan doesn't want you to be successful. He doesn't want you to serve God. And he certainly does not want you to go to heaven. And so at some point in our life, it's, and I look, I am not for, and I do not condone this, looking for a devil behind every bush mentality. I've known people like that, and they're frustrated. I got up this morning, and my tire was flat. The devil 
It's just trying to give me a bad day. No, it's probably you ran over a nail. Okay? Well, we need to, we need to, to be realistic about that stuff. But there are times in our life when the, the spirits of darkness will come against our life, will come against our mind, they'll come against our spirit, and, and you will notice you're fighting attitudes you're not used to fighting or dealing with. You'll start noticing that you have resentment or, or a bad feeling, or maybe your motives aren't what they used to be. Now all of a sudden you start realizing that there's motives in my life that, that are not there. They were not there before, and I don't understand it. There may be actions and things that you do, and, and Satan comes in usually subtly, like he did to Eve. Very seldom does he come in kind of like the bull in the china closet, and the big flash of neon light and says, here I am, I'm the devil, and I'm here to destroy you. And our foundation of obedience to the word of God will help us to withstand this, the attacks of Satan. So when Satan comes against your moral structure, and it comes against your morality, if you have a foundation underneath you, it's not a problem. You won't fall. When, when Satan comes against your faithfulness, your dependability, your loyalty to God, to the house of God, it's not a problem when you have a foundation underneath you because the flood doesn't move that. Jesus told us that in his parable, the house that was built on the foundation was able to withstand the flood. It was the one that had no foundation underneath him that fell. The second uh, thing that Jesus mentioned in this parable that came against the structure was the wind. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed and carried about by all kinds of teaching that change like the wind. We will no longer be influenced by people who use cunning and clever strategies to lead us astray. In our society today, there are so many voices that are telling us that God's commandments are not necessary. I've heard this, this line myself many times. Well, that's not a salvation issue. Anybody else ever heard that? It's not a salvation issue. It's not really an issue at all. But God's word teaches us that there are maturity issues. There are maturity issues. I'll reference back to my secular job. A lot of times it seems that we are running an adult daycare. I don't know if anybody else has anybody like that on their job, and I don't mean to speak disparaging about these people. But when you have 30, 40-year-old people that act the way they do, it makes you wonder. And as Christian people, we should not have to act like that. We should, after a process of time, Christianity matures. And where some things may not be salvation issues, they are maturity issues. That you just don't act, you just don't think, you just don't do certain things because you have matured in Christ. The winds of these voices of, of society, it's doctrines of, of, of humanity, it's humanistic thinking, and it buffets our structure. 
And we have to be on the foundation of the word of God. The third thing that comes against us is the rains. Jesus talked about the rains coming against the house. Isaiah 4 and 6. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a uh, covert from storm and for, uh, from rain. The rains come. We're used to calling them storms, the trials of life. They can seem like they block God's favor, but it's temporary. It's a test. Satan attacks our salvation. False doctrine attacks God's commandments, whether they're real or not. And we, we get confused. If God really say this, what did he really mean? And then the trials of life attack our sense of God's favor. Where is God? Does he even know who I am? Does he even care about me? It's the trials of life, and they, they come against this structure, and all of it has to be built on a foundation of obedience to the Word of God. When we understand what the Word of God says and we, we apply it to our life, then we understand when the Scripture says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We don't have to question where God is because we already know that somehow, even though I don't feel like he's that close to me, somehow I'm still in his hand. Even though the night seems like it's never going to end, somehow God knows right where I'm at because I've built on a foundation of the word of God. So whether you're building your life, whether you're building your spirituality, your character, your family, your job, your career, whatever it is, at some point, in just a matter of time, these things will come against that structure in your life. And you will test and see what it is made out of. So the difference between the wise disciple and the foolish disciple is that the wise disciple is obedient to the Lord no matter what attacks, no matter what doctrines come along, no matter what trials come his way. He's always obedient. He's obedient to the word of God. He, he's applied the word of God to his life. The foolish man's house went up the quickest. He built it a lot faster. But it lasted the shortest amount of time where the wise man's house took some time to build. Daily devotion, daily prayer, daily Bible study, faithfulness to the house of God. I heard a story years ago, and I'm closing. I know I've got five minutes left. I heard a story many years ago about uh, supposedly happened in England. I don't know if it's a true or not, but said there was a church meeting going on, and, and um, one of the people got up, and they were talking about whether or not to have a midweek service because it was too boring. I don't want to take that vote tonight. But they said it was too boring and wasn't enough pizzazz and wasn't enough music and lights and the preacher wasn't wild enough and he didn't spit all over the platform and he didn't spit all over the front pews and, and it just wasn't that, that much to it. And, and, and this person in this comment said, you know, I just don't remember a lot of what I hear on nights. It just doesn't sink in. I just don't remember it. And as the story goes, there was a man that was in his 90s in the back of the, 
of the church that night and he raised his hand and, and the presiding pastor recognized him and the old man stood up and he said, I want to tell everybody in here something. He said, I've been married for 70 plus years and the best that I can figure, my, and, and real quickly, my wife has cooked me over 100,000 meals in my lifetime. I don't know how he figured that. It's a lot of meals. But. He said, and I'll be honest with you. I don't remember, but about two or three. Because all those meals wasn't a lot of pizzazz to them. They weren't all that great. Some of them were pretty bad. But he said, this one thing I will tell you. I wouldn't be alive today if she hadn't cooked every one of them. And in our relationship with God, sometimes we, I shouldn't say, because it sounds so condemnatory, and I'm not trying to be that way. Ah, it's Wednesday night, it doesn't matter. You know, pastor's teaching this series about the true biblical definition of holiness. Not what we think we know, but what it really means. I'm not interested in that, you know. And we build our relationship with God. We build our salvation the way we want to. And we build it quick. But it will last the shortest amount of time. But when you take in that daily intake, much like the elder gentleman did, every, a meal every day, whether it's, we think it's wonderful or not, we eat it every day. As you can tell, I've eaten too many. It builds in us a foundation and where it may seem to take a long time to get where we're going, when you get there, you will last a long time. Society won't affect you. Doctrines won't affect you. Satan will not be able to disrupt you. Rain and storms and trial, the phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning bearing bad news will cause you to fall apart. We need to learn to build for the long term. I want to serve God today. And I also want to be serving God in 50 years if he tarries and I turn 90. Two. I want to make it to heaven. Anybody else want to make it to heaven? And so we need to build for the long term. We need to plan on getting there. Obedience is the foundation of the Christian life. James 1, 22 through 25, the New Living Translation puts it this way. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like, but if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you'll stand with me tonight, each one of us are given a span of years Brother Don told me before church, he's 72. 
he realizes that there's probably less in front of him than there is behind him. And we're each one still saying that he wants to accomplish what God wants him to accomplish. We're each one given this span of life, some longer than others, to build a structure. And I wonder if our, if you want to call it what Jesus called our mansion in heaven, I wonder if we have anything to do with the building of it here. If the structure that we build, if the foundation that we lay in our life of serving God today, if the structure that we build of serving God today, if the covering of God in our lives today is anything reflected in the mansion that we inherit in heaven. I've often said of heaven, I don't mind living in a cardboard box on the back street as long as I'm there. So as we go through life, as we leave this moment and, and we go through the rest of our life, consider what you're building. Consider your priorities. Consider where you invest your time. Where do you invest your talent? Where do you invest your money? What is it building in your life? Is it a structure that will withstand the three things that's going to come against it at some point? Can it stand? If not, we should reevaluate what we're building. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much tonight for your attention. God bless you for being here. Uh, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. Please go around, shake somebody's hand for our guest here tonight. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome back anytime. Be friendly. Go in Jesus' name.